pray before Aaron comes. Amen. Thank you, Brother Steve. You may be seated and uh, children, go to Children's Church uh, if you'd like to uh, with Miss Robin. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And uh, we are, have been looking uh, this month at the supporting characters of the Christmas story. Uh, and we're going to look at one that's a little bit before the Christmas story, but an important part uh, of that story in Luke chapter 1 in Zechariah uh, and John the Baptist. Um, in Luke chapter 1, uh, and we'll start reading in uh, verse 67. Um, it says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. And we should be saved, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation uh, to Israel. We think about uh, this part of the Christmas story. You have to understand about Zacharias, we didn't take time to read uh, his earlier story. Zacharias was a priest, he served in the temple uh, in worship, and uh, just like an angel had come to visit Mary, an angel showed up to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and I'm going to use him to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And you know what Zechariah did? He laughed at God. He said to that, you are cray-cray. You're not just cray, you cray-cray. You are insane. That's my wife, she's old. She can't have no baby. And I'm not a spring chicken. It's just not possible. 
And as a consequence, for several months, this pastor couldn't talk. That's a problem for a pastor. Or for a pre- and so he, he couldn't talk. And so I'm not sure he, you know, that uh, somehow con- conveyed the, the message to Elizabeth, and she wasn't all that excited on the idea either because she knew she was not a spring chicken and knew, knew how difficult. And yet she said, you know what, we've been uh, chosen by God, and this is a great blessing. And so Mary shows up. Uh, and so they're both with child, and the scriptures tell us that when she walked, when Mary walked in um, to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's home, John the Baptist jumped in the womb of uh, Elizabeth. And uh, she said, Mary, you are certainly blessed among women. And so the day came uh, for uh, John to be circumcised. It was tradition that the baby would have the son's or the father's name. And so that part of the time came, and uh, they knew the preacher couldn't talk, so they asked the mom, What should we call him? And she said, You should call his name John. He scratched your head and said, you, you don't have anybody in your family named John. Your husband's name is Zachariah or Zacharias. What's the deal? And so they turn to Zechariah and they say, Hey, uh, preacher, what is this boy's name going to be called? And he asked for something to write with. And they brought him. Uh, something, and he wrote down his name is John. Because that's what God had told them to name him. And so John the Baptist has a very important part to play in the Christmas in, in the, the ministry of Jesus. Uh, they were cousins. Uh, and John acted as a forerunner, as one that would go and prepare the people. And when we find him the next time in the Gospels, as an adult, he's out preaching and baptizing people uh, because they're, coming, they're repenting of their sin and baptism was a sign that they had repented of their sin. And so what a, a marvelous thing. So back to our story that... Uh, in Luke 1, 67 through 80, God reminds us of some important things. Uh, and so let's look and see what they are. The first is so important for us to remember, we miss it so often, is that God remembers his promises. Zechariah had grown up learning the Old Testament, learning all the Scriptures that talk about not only the Messiah, but the one that would come before the Messiah to repair the way for him. Isaiah talks about that specifically. And he preached many times, I'm sure. And when we look at these verses, these verses are so packed 
with promises from the Old Testament. But we have to remember something. These promises that he mentions from Isaiah and Zechariah and a couple of the Psalms that he quotes directly from here in these few verses were written hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of years before John and Jesus would show up on the scene. Now, if we have to wait in line at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or wherever, wait in line more than just a couple minutes for our sandwich, we get a little antsy, don't we? We say, man, what is taking them so long? They have to go out back and kill the chickens? Uh... And yet, so can you imagine having to wait centuries to get an order? And so, and and by the way, not just centuries of these prophecies, but between this time and when the Old Testament ends, there was a span of about 400 years where... God didn't speak at all. It wasn't, though, that God wasn't speaking. It's that the people weren't listening. And so, Jesus shows up on the scene in a most unusual way. And part of that story is found here in these verses that we read. And reminds us that God does not forget his promises. That God had told David that he was going to use David and establish the kingdom of David forever. Well, the people that were living in the first century when Jesus came, David's kingdom was not still around. They were under Roman government. They didn't like it either, but that's what they were under. And they knew that they didn't have a king of Israel anymore. So had God forgotten about his people? And then from uh, his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that God was going to bless Abraham and he was going to be a father of many nations and through his seed all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. Zechariah um, brings that promise back up before the people here in this message. Abraham lived not just a few hundred years, but a few thousand years before. And so God made that promise way back then in Genesis chapter 12. A lot of years had passed before we find Matthew and Luke, the stories of the Gospels of Jesus coming. A lot of time had passed, and so people naturally, because we with God has forgotten about us. And yet, Zechariah wants us to know that an important part of the Christmas story is to remember that God always remembers His promises. That when God makes a promise to you, you can take it to the bank that God is going to deliver on even when it takes a long, long, long time. Remember, the Scriptures tell us that a day is like a thousand years to God. 
So that God's not bound by time. What to us seems like a super long time is just like a day to God. And so really, and in the grand scheme of eternity, it's not. Thinking last night, uh, Leslie and I went and we met our nephews um, last night. Well, and mom and dad and grandma too, but uh, mainly the boys. Uh, and they're 7 and 13 now. Man, and so the Avery, the oldest one, is about as tall as I am. He's big. And it seems like only yesterday I held him in my arms and rocked him and the little stinker peed on me. Well, I was, I was sitting there holding myself in this sweet and kind and thought I was warming my heart. Well, it wasn't heart warmings. It was something else. I said, this little bugger peed on me. So, of course, I gave him back uh, and had to go change my shirt. Seems like just yesterday. And yet it's been over a decade ago. God never forgets his promises. And so there are promises from Genesis all the way through that God makes to his people. And he keeps every single one of them. And one of the most important promises that God makes is that he is going to send one to redeem his people. He is going to make a way of salvation. You see, mankind, we are busy trying to save ourselves. And we try to be good. Man, you go to the bookstore, there's walls and walls, aisles and aisles of self-help books. And people buy them. And we watch all these TED Talks and YouTube videos about how to be a better person and how to do this and how to do that. Trying to fix ourselves. Well, the reality is you can't fix yourself. You're broken. And the reason you're broken is because you're broken. And broken things can't fix things. When something's broken, someone else has to come and fix it. And here's the thing, you can't fix it. Your mom or dad can't fix it. Your husband can't fix it. Your wife can't fix it. Your boss can't fix it. Your preacher can't fix it. But there is one person who can. And his name is Jesus. And he's the reason we celebrate Christmas because God fulfilled a century-old promise that he was going to send the Messiah, the Deliverer to come. Isaiah says his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That God would dwell among us in flesh. And he did. He came like a cute, cuddly baby, just like my little adorable nephew Avery. Jesus may have been a little bit cuter than Avery. I don't know, I kind of doubt it, but I might be partial. Babies don't say very much. They cost. And they break stuff. Probably every parent, I know my mom said this often growing up with two boys and a, a rambunctious daughter. That's the reason we can't have nice things. Uh, because we 
bounce balls in the house, and we would wrestle in the house, and do all kinds of things, and so we'd break stuff. And God knows that we break stuff, and he loves us anyway. And so God remembers his promise, and the most important promise again is that he would send the Messiah, and he would deliver his people. And he did. And he's working to continue to do that even today. He didn't, there's never going to be a time until he comes again when he'll stop saving folks. As long as we have breath in us, we have opportunity to come to know God's grace and God's mercy, God's deliverance. And so that's the message that the supporting character Zechariah wants to deliver to us. Is that, yeah, it seems unlikely sometimes, and yet God is faithful to remember and fulfill His promises. But then secondly, Isaiah's sermon here that's recorded for us in these few verses, is that not only does God remember His promises, But secondly, God calls his people to live for him. So the promise from Isaiah is that God would send this deliverer to save people from their sin. That he would be a root, and that was another allusion from the Old Testament, and a day spring, and that was another concept from the Old Testament. And that he would deliver them, that he would fulfill his promise, But then look with me in verse 74. To grant to us being delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve him with fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And so when you receive this great gift and salvation, the the Messiah, and coming to know Him and receiving new life is the greatest gift anyone can ever get. And the Scriptures remind us that when we receive that great gift, it changes us. And God says, because you're saved now, because you've experienced my grace and forgiveness, and I've delivered you. Why did God do that? So that we could live for Him. He says, so that we might uh, serve Him without reservation. In holiness and righteousness. Now, are we holy and righteous? We are not! The fact that we're not was the reason that Jesus had to come. Why that gift had to be given. But because we've received that gift, and because Jesus is holy, and He is righteous, guess what God does? When we have Jesus, God sees us as righteous and holy. Not by ourselves, but because Jesus is with us. And so God calls His people to live for Him. And so we're to 
talk about Jesus and we're to live for Him, we're to, to be nice and we're to share love and grace with others, not just at Christmas time, but all year round. Because Jesus is the Lord of our life and He is your Savior all year long. And so he says, listen, God has done these things and He fulfills His promises so that we would live and could live for Him. Because left to on our own devices without Jesus, we're broken. And we're hopeless. But when Jesus comes into our life, when we receive that great gift, God makes us whole and He forgives us. And He makes us righteous and holy. Paul understood that truth in Philippians 4.13 when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was not meaning that we can do whatever we want on our own, but that with Christ in our life, we were able to accomplish the things that God has for us. And so at Christmas time, people tend to be more jolly and joyful. But Jesus says that if you know me, your joy is full. In other words, we're not just to be joyful and full of joy on Christmas in the month of December, but God's people are to be joy-filled all year long. In January. And in April. And in July. And in October. All year long. Because Jesus is not like presents that we often get. You know, especially little kids, they Christmas morning, they unwrap, they're busy unwrapping, and I don't know why parents bother wrapping presents, because kids you know, tear it up and they aren't concerned about the paper. And they get this toy, this whatever it was that they want, and they say, oh man, this is great! December 27th, most of the time, they've forgotten about that toy that was so marvelous and wonderful just two days ago. And they've moved on to something else. They still have the toy, but they don't play with it near as much as they did that first day. But you see, the gift of Jesus is not supposed to be like that. The gift of Jesus we receive and it's marvelous and wonderful that first day. And this is how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to get better and better and better and better every day that we walk with Jesus. That we don't ever put Him on a shelf and we don't ever get tired of Him, but rather we grow in love with Him and we become more and more like Him. And so God calls us to live for Him but then, also, God reminds us lastly that God not only calls His people to live for Him, but that God also calls His people to shine for Him. We need to understand that God desires for us not only to be living for Him, but to shine for Him. That the light of Jesus, John, in his gospel, he opens it up and says, the light of the world, has come. And he talks about light in great detail. And Jesus is that light that he's talking about. The Bible in the Old and New Testament use light as an illustration of God and his holiness. 
And so, remember, he's already said that you're supposed to be holy and righteous. And so in verses 76 and following, Zechariah prophesies about his son, John the Baptist. But he's also speaking about all the people that are in the crowd that day. And he's speaking about you and me. And all the other members of the church that would come after him for until the Lord would come again. And so he says, listen, that you would be a light to the people. That you would give knowledge of salvation to people and they would find tender mercy. In verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. This world is a dark place and there are lots of places and lots of people in this world looking for answers. And they're looking for peace. And I tell you what, peace is not going to come in tanks and bullets and missiles and nuclear weapons. It's not going to come by handshakes and signatures on paper either. Peace will only come to this world when Jesus fills this world. Because a new relationship with God is the only thing that can fix the darkness and the fallenness and brokenness of this world and your world. And so, and that was the purpose of Jesus coming. Isaiah said that numerous times. 800 years or so before Jesus would even become a glimmer in Mary's tummy. And God is faithful to fulfill His promises. And God is faithful to call His people to live for Him, but also to shine for Him. That God intends for you and for me to prepare a way for people that they could come to know Jesus. This world and its darkness is bent on doing everything it can To keep God out of this world. And yet God says to his people. And gives them the message. And it's an old message. He says listen. You shine brightly. So that others may come to see me. So this world is sent to keep God out. We are sent to bring God in. And there's a lot of darkness in this world. And sometimes it seems insurmountable and we say, oh my, the task is just too great. And yet God reminds us over and over again that the light, this light that's called Jesus is the only thing and the only hope this world has. It's the only thing that can fix this world. It's the only thing that can fix you. And make you whole. And give you peace. 
Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, listen, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Mighty God, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. The only way that we can really know peace is when God lives in our heart. And when God is shining through our life. Because you see, when you have light in you, light naturally reflects. It doesn't hide itself. In fact, it can't hide itself. If there's a light on, maybe you, when you were little, would stay up at night, and you had a little flashlight or you know, something, and you'd read your comic books, or your, you know, your girls read your little Nancy Drews or whatever you read, Cosmos or whatever, um, thinking you were hiding. But guess what? That little light, it wasn't much light. But guess what? Mom somehow could see light where there was not supposed to be any light. So she would say, listen, turn that light off, go to sleep. The point is this, that it doesn't take much light to dispel a lot of darkness. And in fact, wherever there's light, darkness goes away. You can hide darkness, but you cannot hide light. And so the supporting character in the Christmas story, this forerunner, reminds us that, hey, listen, the light has come. It's Jesus. He's come. But it's not just that He came. We have to receive that message and know that message for it to make a difference. And so the message that God has given us is an old message. But God sent a new person to tell it. This baby named John the Baptist that would grow up and would proclaim, would be preaching out in the middle of nowhere. The message that God loves you and God will offer you redemption and forgiveness for your sin if you'll but ask it. Pray together, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. God, we thank you for this wonderful message of Christmas. Lord, as Zacharias preached this message of deliverance and hope, Lord, maybe there's one here today that's hurting. Maybe they're stroke. Maybe the peace is not in their heart. Because Jesus isn't there. So today, maybe there's one that needs to receive the greatest gift that was ever given. Your son. And it's through his death and resurrection that we can have eternal life when we receive that gift. That our brokenness is made whole. And that our darkness is made light. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today, they are saved, and yet they're discouraged. Maybe they're not living like they should. Would you speak to them today and help them to just come to you and say, Lord, I need to do different. God, forgive me. And cry out to you as David did in the Psalms, restore to me the joy of your salvation.
Help us, we pray, to live a joyful life that others may know a peace that surpasses understanding and a hope that this world cannot give. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this.